0: I'm a member here at TCC. It's uh, really a pleasure and a privilege to be here with you this morning. Thanks all for for coming. I want to just open us up to two questions. Uh, When were you ever in a big mess? When were you in a big mess? And what did you do to clean it up? So I don't know if any of you do March Madness. Maybe your bracket is in a mess right now, like mine. Uh, Maybe you have a baby or your parents and you had a child at one point. You know all about what that means, to have a big mess on your hands. Uh, with blowouts and things like that and uh uh, well maybe if you ever gone and got your hair cut right you ever have a problem with the hair just still stuck like on your skin you can't get it off and it sticks there forever and you try to wash 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 but it's still anyways it's just me uh sand at a beach right for me honey always gets me i'm i don't like stickiness i don't know why my wife and i would become beekeepers but uh we were <laughs> and the stickiness from the honey oh i can't get it off and it just it's just really hard for me um i got a story real quick hopefully a short illustration but this week i actually had a, a really messy situation our uh, shower drain hopefully this doesn't gross you out too much but our shower drain got clogged so i, I was like okay I'll, I'll fix it so late one night I, I, the best I could find late at night in the dark was a comb. So I stick the comb down into this dark crevice and I start like pulling up the grayest, darkest, smelliest, rancid thing you could ever imagine. I, I put it on like a piece of paper and I had just this glob and it was just like disgusting. I put it in a bag, sealed it. I washed my hands probably 50 times, but I still feel a little, <laughs> little yucky, even a little yucky telling you about it. So sorry. But, uh, um, but maybe, maybe the messiness you might be thinking of might be a little bit more serious. Right? Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's a financial mess. Uh, you got bills, payments to pay. Uh, maybe it's work problems. Uh, <laughs> work problems. I don't know. In my life just keep popping up. It's like, man, I not these things go away. Uh, school, right? If maybe you've got a bad grade or you got a test coming up. Right? Maybe there's a mess uh, that comes with studying and all that. Um, Any of you single? You know, maybe you experience loneliness at times. Um, you know, it, it can definitely make you feel. Uh, like there's something missing in your life, uh, and even to those who have uh, are in a marriage or in a relationship, even then sometimes it can be the most loneliness with someone that you know and love can can sometimes feel the most uh, uh, m- most like a mess sometimes, and, and even with kids, right? Um, so so what do we do with it? How do we deal with whatever this mess is that we're in, and how do we clean it up, right? And so whatever the mess is that you're in, I pray it's not cleaning out a shower drain. Uh, but I want you to know you're welcome here, right? This is a welcoming place. You know, we can bring our messes here. We can be honest and real about our messes, and, and you're not alone in whatever the mess is that you're going through. So, so if you have your Bible today, let's open it up again. We're in uh, Mark 7, and the passage before us today is all about a mess, a mess more serious, more repulsive, more harmful, and it's even uh, impossible to get rid of, impossible to clean up on our own, right? So this spiritual messiness is what we call the Bible calls defilement, right? As we just read about, and it's basically a clear definition. It's a state of uncleanness, uncleanness before God. So spiritual messiness, defilement, is a state of uncleanness before God, before Holy God, right? As we just sang about a Holy God. And what this passage really breaks down and shows us are two main points, right? It's it's about defilement, two attributes of defilement. First. The implications or the consequences of what defilement brings in our lives, and then secondly, what the source of defilement is, and, and how can we cleanse it? You know, how can it be cleansed? So again, two attributes we're going to talk about: uh, what's the implications of defilement, and what's the source of defilement and cleansing. So first, what does uh, um, what does a state of uncleanliness before God look like. Uh, so first, it, it falsely accuses others. Let's look at passages, uh, sorry, verses 1 through 5, right? Mark basically just details out this tradition of the elders. Uh, he even notes, I thought this was really interesting, if you look at verse 2, he, the uh, the Pharisees and the scribes, right, these are the experts of the law. The ones who knew the law the best, right? The, if you're sick, right, where do you go? Do you go to a doctor? If you have a legal issue, you go to a lawyer, right? Uh, if you're an engineer, maybe you'd come to me and, and say, hey, what's my engineering problem? But these guys, right, they have a, a, a textual problem, right? It's the law, like how to interpret the law. And, they, and they're the ones in charge of interpreting it. They're the Pharisees and the scribes. And, and they saw some of Jesus' disciples, right? Like verse 2 says they saw some of his disciples, but then what did they say to Jesus in verse 5? go, And the Pharisees and the scribes asked them, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? Have you ever experienced that where you kind of you can take like a, a small truth, you know, and make it a big thing or generalize it and make it more significant maybe or more... Mm, impactful or bigger than it really is these guys are kind of doing that right they're saying look at they saw some of them being really nitpicky and they see uh that some of the some of the followers of jesus his own disciples were not following this tradition of the elders um and they're trying to trap him they're trying to test him as we've seen time and time again right in the scriptures is that uh the the pharisees or these religious rulers come to jesus to try to catch him in his words um and, and just for some more context right uh they're pointing to uh, scripture, like in Leviticus 11 and 18, it talks about, like, there are clean things and unclean things before God. Uh, these, these are like what the, have been classified as ceremonial laws or clean, cleanness laws, right? And, and what J.C. Moyer helps us understand is that these were indirect aids to remind Israel of the purity and holiness of God. Right? So God, God gave these laws as a way to remind people uh, of their sin, right? To be aware of their sin uh, and to recognize that they needed a savior. Uh, and these uh, also help provide important distinctions, right? Hygienically, uh, yeah, I think that's how you say it, <laughs> cultically, uh, and, uh, and a symbol, right? As we just said. Now, what, the, what these uh, Pharisees and scribes have done over time is they have this oral tradition of the elders that got passed down. So. The law says there are clean things and unclean things. And what these guys did, said, okay, we're going to protect ourselves from getting anywhere near these laws and breaking them by putting a fence around it. And that's what this tradition of the elders is, right? So they said, here's here's the line. Don't cross it. And we're going to take a step back and say, okay, we're going to put these um, uh, oral traditions in place that like washing of the hands, traditions that say, okay, this will help us remember just to be pure and and holy before God, right? And ironically, what happens, though, as we see in this passage, is by them trying to avoid breaking the law, they ironically, they actually do break the law, right, as we'll see later. So so second point. So not only do they come to Jesus, they falsely accuse others. Uh, We see on the flip side, Jesus comes back at them in verse 6, right? He rightly accuses them. What does he say? He says, You hypocrites, right? This is what Michael talked about uh, last week, right? Gospel, culture, and gospel doctrine. If we have gospel doctrine but not gospel culture, we're we're hypocritical of ourselves, right? These guys, this is even worse because these guys aren't just... Uh, not following the law, following proper gospel doctrine, they're also not experiencing gospel culture. That, that's the real danger and trap of, of a religious lifestyle, of the defilement of the heart, is that you, become, you externally conform to the right things, right, or to what your culture said is right, but inwardly you're denying God, right? What does the, the Bible say? It says, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They're giving lip service, but they're not giving the heart worship that God really wants. God is after our hearts, right? And the, the heart, we have to know, like, when the Bible talks about the heart, uh, look what does it mean by that, right? Well, if you look in Proverbs, Proverbs 4:23, it says, Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. The, the heart is the very essence. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's the very essence and core of who we are. Like, not just what we think, but how we live, what we do. Like, everything starts and originates inside our souls and in the very depths of our hearts and who we are, our identities, right? And and it directs what we do and what we don't do. And so that's why Jesus is after our hearts. It, it's why uh, Isaiah even prophesied uh, in the moment there, and, and Jesus is referencing this right now, right? Is that we don't want it to just be a, a checking the box, right? This isn't just come and check the box and, and and get close just with your lips, right? He wants all of ourselves, uh, not just our external actions and external conformity, but our, our inward hearts, too. Uh, I want to also say, too, that, like, you know, what's really interesting here is that uh, Jesus references Isaiah, who says, people honors me with their lips. So they're doing the right thing. He's acknowledging, in a sense, too, that they're not, these traditions aren't necessarily wrong. It's how they're, uh, flipping them to be the most important thing. They're taking a good thing and making it the ultimate thing, right? And that's, that's the problem here, right? So, so, like, the traditions that have been passed down, they were meant to be helpful. Uh, so how they worship the holy and pure God, right? But they have taken it and, and ignored what the actual law says, and that's, that's the problem. And that can lead us to living a life of performance right of perfectionism like you know we live in a culture here in ann arbor right with the university that's all about try harder just keep working really hard and just grind down you know if you uh if something goes wrong just keep pressing in and trying harder and i think sometimes we can all get caught up in that mindset that it's all based on our actions, our performance. And then that can lead us to pretending, right? We can put on this fake aura or external uh, persona that says, look at me, I'm I'm doing okay. But really deep down, what's the mess going on inside of our heart? And that's what matters more. Um, I don't know if any of you have seen the recent movie, uh, The Jesus Revolution. Uh, I thought there was a really, if you haven't seen it yet, I highly recommend it. Um, There's a really cool scene in here, I don't want to spoil it, but uh, it's about hippies uh, back in the 70s, I believe, uh, coming to Jesus. And there's a church uh, that was really dwindling and um, decided to welcome the hippies in. And there's this one scene where you see this very caustic... Uh, very legalistic, very hypocritical side of the church, who's been a part of the church forever. Uh, it's very dark. It's very, you know, there's not much, not not any smiles or any joy going on. And then you have the hippies that start coming in. on they're, they're completely the opposite on the other side, right? They're just full of love. They're dancing. They're praising the Lord, right? And you see just this complete uh, contrast between, uh, like, a legal, hypocritical type of lifestyle and maybe more of the licentious Lifestyle, right? Both are ways that we can externally conform but still inwardly miss the heart of God. Um, so next, what else does this passage say about the implications of defilement? So defiled, sinful hearts are separated from God, right? In that same verse, right? Their heart is far from me. Right? That's what the Bible talks about in Romans 3:23, right? It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because of sin, right, there's an infinite gap between the holy God and our imperfect and sinful nature, right? And the Bible also says in that in Romans 2, Romans 6:23, for the wages of sin is death. Sin has earned us death and separation from God, right? And this is a very big problem. This is very serious, right? Um, and again, remember, the law was given to reveal that to us, to show us our sin and to show us the holiness of God. It wasn't meant to save us. You know, trying really hard and working really hard is, and, and following the law like the Pharisees are doing, and sometimes, we, if we'll be honest, we do in our own lives, right? That's not going to save us. That's not going to get God to be pleased with us, right? So we need something else. We need a Savior. So uh, so simple hearts are separated from God, and sinful hearts meaninglessly, meaninglessly worship God, right? In verse 7 it says, In vain do they worship me, right? that's uh, worthless, ineffective, unproductive worship. You know, have you ever felt like that? It's like, man, I feel like, just feel purposeless right now. I, I don't know. Sometimes that can grip me too. And it uh, uh, it definitely happens here in the scripture when, when we approach God with the perspective that it, it's all based on our external conformance, on our actions to earn his favor. And I think another important point to be mentioned here is that you can be religious, right? You could be a leader in a church, even an expert of the law, and you can still miss the point. You can still miss that God is after your heart, right? And that and you, we don't want to miss the whole point, right? That's why, that's why this passage is here. That's what Jesus is confronting here. So fifth point, uh, verse 7 also talks about, uh, in vain do they worship me, they te- teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So they incorrectly interpret and apply Scripture. Right? They take something that was good, a tradition, they make it the ultimate thing. They, they say that that is now the law, and they ignore what is actually the commandment uh, of God. Right? They, they elevate it to that same, same point. Uh, they fail to see Scripture in its fullness. Right? When we interpret the Word of God, we don't just look at a specific verse and say, oh, this is what it says outside of the context of what's around it. Right? And so, and, and all of Scripture is more, meant to point to Jesus, Right? And so we have to take that in consideration when we look at a chapter, when we look at a passage, when we look at a verse. Right? So, and, and we don't want to muddy the distinctions um, between this truth of God, the word of God, and what traditions are. right? Like we want to make sure that they are kept separate. Uh, that doesn't deny the, the helpful nature of traditions. But we don't want to d- diminish or deplete the power and authority of, tr- of truth, of God's word. Uh, sometimes ways we can uh, handle that, too, is we can push the boundaries, right? Kind of like these Pharisees tried to put a bigger uh, boundary around the law. We can do that, too, in our own lives, right? Like, we can uh, push the boundaries. How close can I get to breaking the law without actually breaking the law? I don't know. I've seen this in children, right? You tell them, hey, keep your feet off the ground. Don't get out of your chair, right? And then what do they do? They... They do everything they can just to prevent, like, actually touching the ground. Like, they squirm, they climb across other chairs, but they're not actually touching the ground. Uh, But they're still in a chair, right? Uh, So so same, in our hearts, right? Like, we we can do things like that. We can uh, push the boundaries and incorrectly interpret and apply scripture. Like, the rules are not meant for us just to conform to them. They're meant uh, so that show us our heart nature and how to relate to God. And and now where is this happening today? Where are we incorrectly interpreting or applying scripture? Um, I I was doing a a quick Google search about some of the most popular uh, uh, passages that are misused. One of them, like Jeremiah 2911, I think we all, uh, I know I like to use this. uh, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and to help you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Um, And a lot of times when we look at it, we think, oh, me. Like, this is all about me. Like, God has good plans for me, right? And that's not necessarily... False or wrong, right? We know Romans 8:28. For I'm like, and we know that God works together for the good for all those who love Him, right? And called according to His purpose. So, so that is true. But that specific uh, passage in Jeremiah 29:11 is talking about the people of Israel, right? He's talking in the midst of when they're in exile. And the you is them, a a group of people. And it's not still until 70 years after that that he actually has a good plan for them, that he brings them out of exile. And he's more even talking about, again, this is pointing to Christ, that the good plan he has for them, for us, is that Jesus is in our place. It's Jesus who lived the life that we could not live. Right. So we don't want to interpret scripture wrongly. Another one, a popular one, is Philippians 4.13. Um, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, right? You see that a lot of times in, like, exercise facilities and everything, and that's great, right? I, what's Tim Tebow, right? He had it tattooed on his face or put on his face, right, um, during uh, football games, right? No, I think it's really great. Scripture is good. We don't want to diminish the importance of using Scripture, but, again, we've got to take everything into context, right? And it's not about our potential in that verse, right, but about our contentment that God wants, Right, I can do all things in Christ. I can, I can, I can. Paul was talking about how he can suffer for Christ. Right, he can be content in good times and in bad. Right. Um, so we just want That's just again another example of how we can take verses out of context. Um, we were talking this morning about church doctrine. Uh, baptism is another way we can take things out of context. Right. A lot of people think uh, you're only saved if you're baptized. Right, but the Bible is very clear that it is a symbol of an inward heart change. Okay, so baptism doesn't save you. Right. It's a symbol. It's a it's of what God has already done in your heart. Uh, So those are a couple ways you can incorrectly interpret and apply scripture, which, again, are just an an implication or uh, a consequence of defilement. Now, the more serious offense that kind of goes along with that is number six here. It's rejecting the authority of scripture. All right, that that is a consequence of sin, is that we can reject the authority of Scripture. This is God's word. This is what look at what Jesus is doing. It's very significant here that Jesus references Scripture, right? That's what he does when he's tempted, tempted by Satan, right? He references Scripture to fight against the attacks of the evil one right uh there is authority and power in the word of god you know this isn't just another book this is god's word to us to me to you today right god has a um, a a message and a purpose uh and he uses his word god's word does the work of god and the people of god by the spirit of god and and it's uh it's very powerful and for us uh when we have simple hearts we can often reject that uh, in favor of other things um like traditions, right? And we can try to try to cleanse ourselves. Uh, so, so look at this. Uh, the ways uh, when when you see even after Jesus, Jesus himself interprets scripture. He says, "You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men." And then he kind of breaks here and goes into verses nine through thirteen, uh, talking about uh, ways that we try to cleanse ourselves right? He gives an example of of how this rejection of the Word of God can happen, right? He talks, the the Word of God, we did the Ten Commandments series, right? The Fifth Commandment is that you shall honor your father and mother, right? And there's a consequence. This this just shows the serious nature of when we break God's law, right? Is that there's serious consequences. It says, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. And what have these guys done? These guys, Through their their desire to just kind of put a hedge around the law, they've actually infringed on the law, right? And they've broken it by saying that, oh, these things that are intended for my parents to give them uh, and to honor them and respect them, I'm actually going to say that they're Corbin, that they're given to God. So my parents don't get them anymore, but they're basically using God and his word and these traditions uh, as an excuse, Right, An excuse to not follow, not obey God's word. They're making void the word of God by their tradition that has been handed down. And this isn't just, so again, remember this is in the context of food food laws. And then right here he kind of breaks from that and does a different context with uh, the fifth commandment. With, with just honoring God with, with things and, and honoring your parents. And then he also adds, and many such things you do. Right, so the, the pervasiveness of this isn't just related to food. It's not just related to ceremonial laws. Like This is a bigger heart issue at stake. Um, and the ways that, that the Pharisees and scribes try to cleanse themselves right, of this heart problem, is through this external religion. Right? It's through a false religion. Um, uh, it's, it's through doing good things. It's through like checking the box. Right? I don't know if you ever felt like that. Like, I've got to do my Bible reading so I can check the box. Or I've got to say a prayer. I haven't prayed in a while. I haven't done, I haven't shared the gospel in a while. I feel like I haven't checked the box, right? So often we, we, our heart natures are so simple and so uh, defiled that we can do things that are even good, but they're, they're not with the right motives. They don't have the right heart motive that God looks for. Um, James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Right to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to re, uh, keep oneself unstained from the world. And, and, and this is this this is what this is what the Pharisees and Sadducees did. And it's not just them, right? If, if we look at the next verse, verse 14, there's a big turning point here, right? And um, and, and these Pharisees and religious leaders are in a, a serious mess. This is a serious mess that they're in. Defilement of the heart is a serious thing, and it's real. And um, that, that really summarizes like, what the first attribute of defilement is and how serious it is and what it looks like. But, but again, this isn't just for the Pharisees and scribes. This is for us today, too. Look at verse 14. He turns from talking to the Pharisees and scribes and says, he called the people to him again. And he said to them, hear me, all of you. Right? He's talking to all of us, too. What was important for them there th- that day is important for us. To today, right? That this defilement of the heart is a real issue and it affects each and every one of us, right? So, when we look at the next attribute of of defilement, is what is the source? Where does the source of defilement come from, right? It affects each one of us. Each one of us is unclean, right? Um, And and that uh, is something that is um, very serious. The next, uh, the next verse, too, it says, Jesus says, There is nothing outside of person that by going into him can defile him. Nothing. There's nothing. That's, uh, this is a radical statement by Jesus. You know, when you think about it in the Old Testament, right, there is a clear distinction between what is clean and what isn't clean. And look at what Jesus says. He says, There is nothing outside of person by going into him can defile him. This is radical. This is uh, crazy when we think about it. Um, and it's just a great reminder too, right, that it's not our external actions. It's not our external messes that ruin us, right, uh, or save us even. Right? It's not It's not based on our circumstances. Right? And I don't know where you're at today. Um, for you, if, if maybe you felt at times like I, I've ruined something really bad. Maybe it was a relationship. Um, Maybe it was uh, uh, a child, do you think? Uh, maybe you said something or did something that's completely ruined you, uh, r- or ruined them, rather. Um, but I think this, this word is really important for us today, really important for me. Just to remember, there's not just related to food, right, but related to our actions and hearts. There's nothing that can truly defile our hearts that hasn't already been defiled, right? The, the problem is much deeper than our external conformity and actions. Um, and William Lane here, he says really important thing. He says that minutiae of traditions are powerless to remove the pollution from the heart, the source which is the source of defilement and action of men. And it's important to see here, too, that you know, just because Jesus is now deeming things no longer clean and unclean. He's calling all foods clean, right? As Mark translates for us, right, in verse 19. Thus he declared all foods clean, right? It's important, as William Lane notes, that Jesus does not alleviate the demand for purity, but sharpens it, right? So, so at the beginning there, right, we saw in verses 6 through 13, that Jesus has such a high view of the law, right? The law is so important. The commandments of God, the authority of God's word is critical that we follow and abide in. But then how can Jesus completely go underneath that and say, well, I'm no longer, what the law said before is there's no longer a distinction between clean and unclean. How, how do we handle that? How do we wrestle with that? that? If that doesn't sit like uncomfortably with you, like we really need to think about that more clearly and process that. Um, and I think this is where it's a it's a great reminder, right? Um, and uh, uh, just just the fact that if we jump ahead uh, about who is Jesus, right? In Matthew 5:17, it, it talks about how uh, Jesus said, "I have not come to abolish the law, right, but to fulfill it. To fulfill it the law." As we already said, right, the law all points to Jesus, right? It points to Him. So. He is the fulfillment of the Mosaic law. He, he's not abolishing the law or abrogating it, as some theologians say, but he's fulfilling it. He's fulfilled the laws of the cleanliness, right? There is no sin in Jesus. You know, he lived the sinless life we couldn't live. Right. He, he's fulfilled the ceremonial laws and he is, re, in essence, redefining what it means to be clean and unclean and that it comes from a deeper uh, point, not our external actions, but our inward heart. So it's, it's not a secret, right, that the source of defilement that we've been talking about is sin. Right. Sin is what separates us from a holy God. And it, it's in our heart that defiles us. You know, this is the root of the problem. It's the root of individual sin and corporate sin. And you know, what can wash away our sin? What can take that away? What can make us clean before the holy God, right? As the one song says, nothing but the blood of Jesus. He is the source of our cleansing. He's the source of, of purity and acceptance before a holy God and Father. So, you know, when we look at this passage, too, and we take the whole context into consideration, the whole book of Mark, the two main questions uh, Pastor Michael's been asking us to consider are, one, who is Jesus? And two, what does it mean to follow him? Right, so so who is Jesus, right? As we already said, he desires our hearts. This passage is all about our hearts. It's the core and essence of who we are. You know, he look at how he could have responded too, right? Uh, to, right, to the Pharisees and the, and the scribes when they said, why don't they follow this tradition? He could have easily thrown the book at them. He could have been like, hey, where is that in here? You know, that oral tradition, that's a nice to have, but that's not actually the law. The law says that, you know, you don't have to wash your hands. Yes, there is a difference and distinction between clean and unclean, but you don't. The, the actual washing of the hands is only meant for priests. It wasn't meant for all people. So, so they're actually misapplying the word. But he doesn't do that, right? Jesus doesn't uh, doesn't go at them and, and throw that at them. Though he does strongly come at them, right, and rebuke them and saying, calling them you hypocrites, right? Uh, but he's after their heart. He's after them seeing the the deeper problem at stake here, of who they are. And he went to the root of the problem. So so Jesus cares about our hearts and he hates sin. But that's not clear from his strong wording here, you know, his strong rebuke and his his, um, both, not just to the Pharisees, but even to his own disciples, right? In verse uh, uh, 18, it says, he said to the disciples when they asked for, like, hey, can you explain this to us? He's like, he said at times, are you so dull? Like, then are you also without understanding? Like, come on, don't you guys get this? Do you not see, right? So Jesus hates sin, and he hates its implications. He hates the implications of sin, right? And what else? Uh, Who is Jesus? He demands a high view of the law, right? He demands our moral purity, our obedience, not only to the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law, right? Uh, As we already said, he fulfills the law, right? As we talked about in verse 19. Uh, And... uh, And Hebrews 4.15 is really helpful too. It says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus fulfilled the law because he was without sin. Because he was the sinless savior who died in our place. He's the source of all cleansing. 1 John 1.7 says, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Right? When we stand before God, the only thing that can wash away our sins is Jesus. The only thing that can uh, clear out this defilement, this messiness, this ugliness, is Jesus' blood. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. That's what God's in the nature of doing. I don't know if you've ever heard of the, uh, Slugs and Bugs. It's a kid's show. Uh, but they have this one song called God Makes Messy Things Beautiful. Right? He totally does. I, I don't. Again, it comes back to where is our mess? Where is that sin? God takes our messiness, our sinfulness... And he turns it into something beautiful, right? He redeems it. He, he takes it and makes it glorifying to him, right? Now, what does it mean? Now, second question, that's who Jesus is. That's what this passage tells us about him. Now, what does it mean to follow him, right? What does it look like to actually follow Jesus? Um, uh, if we think about, there's a, a passage in the book of Acts, right? You know, Peter, uh, when he, uh, he had some visions in the night, right, of don't call unclean what God has called clean. Um, and and uh, he actually went to the Jerusalem council and he told them, right, that God cleansed the Gentiles' hearts by their faith, by faith, right? So what does it mean to follow him for us? It means let him cleanse your heart. Let him cleanse my heart through faith, by faith, right? 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 talks about this, right? That once we were unrighteous, once we were immoral adulterers, Um but we, but some of you, we were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the spirit of our God. You know, we need to remember that that we have been sanctified, we have been washed, we have been saved, we're being sanctified, we're being washed, we're being saved, and we will be washed. We will be sanctified. We will be made whole one day and be saved, right? We're not finished yet. We're in the already but not yet uh, point of, of this eternity, of this timeline, right? And we still have this sinful nature, right? We can't deny that, right? In, in 1 John 1 through 10, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have no sin, we make we have not sinned. We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Um, Personal confession for me for me today. I woke up this morning and I was rightly accused of being mopey, and I I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that so bad, Uh, because so often, right, we can put so much pressure on ourselves, right, about performing so well or knowing it all or getting the A's, right. But we have to, how often, we're so quick to forget that God is after our hearts. God God loves you, and it's not what you do or don't do, it's what he has done. It's what Jesus has done in your place, right? If you, if you receive that, if you accept that, if you let him cleanse your heart, you're set free. You're set free from the power of sin. You're set free from the unrighteousness that sin and implications that sin brings, the consequences that sin brings with it, right? And I, I think one of the most powerful things about this passage is, uh, it's interesting, Jesus stops short in quoting that Isaiah passage, right? He says, this people honors me with their lips. Their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. But, but if you go to that Isaiah passage, look, look how it finishes, right? Therefore, because of this, what is God going to do about it, right? I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, right? God has to amaze us. God has to astound us. He has to blow our minds, right? If our affection is anywhere else, we're going to be running after those things. If our heart is drawn to the things of this world, that's, that's what we're going to go after. But if he's amazed us, if he's astounded us, right, if he's just blown our minds with wonder upon wonder, right, he done, he's going to just draw us more and more closely to him. He's going to lead us through these messes, in these messes, We'll have just this concrete peace, joy, and affection for him and his word and, and abiding in it. That doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, right? But again, God is after our hearts and growing us in that grace, right? And doing it all for his glory. So what does that mean for us? What are some uh, applications for us today? Well, first, I think it means we gotta, we got to hate sin like Jesus hates sin. Right, we gotta hate it. We gotta fight against it. We have gotta acknowledge it. Acknowledge it. Confess it. Right, we can confess our messes here. That's the beauty of the church. Right, is that we can be honest with one another when we're mopey and sad, when we're hurting and down. Right, and we can fight against it. Right, we can fight against it by repenting of it, by acknowledging it, and then turning away from it and turning to Jesus. Right, and we gotta distinguish too. Important thing here. Right, and what the interpretation is. Where is there false guilt and where is there real guilt? False guilt in the sense of, like, if it's a tradition, you're guilty that you didn't check the box, right? Like, that's a false guilt, you know? Like, ah, I didn't check the box today. But if it's, if it's real guilt, right? Like, God does want us to read the Bible. God does want us to be praying to him, right? Then we should want to just turn that over to him, give Jesus our messes, right, and accept his forgiveness, right? Uh, so 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Right? Jesus said, "Come to me, all ye who are he- labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, two of the most important commands you just talked about, right? If you summarize the Old Testament, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That, that's what the Pharisees and scribes were missing. They were missing that love, right for other people. And so often we can miss that too. So, so for us, the application right is to love God, love God. That can look like memorizing scripture. I know I need to do this more. I want to do this more, and I need to prioritize that more. And I pray that it would be the same for you, too. There's so much power in memorizing the word and storing that up in your heart. Right? And then also our neighbors, right? Going out, sharing this good news with other people, telling other, others the good news, and making disciples, like the Great Commission says. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.